Hello, and welcome to the Digital Workspace Works podcast. I'm Ryan Purvis, your host, supported by our producer, Heather Bicknell. In this series, you'll hear stories and opinions from experts in the field, stories from the front lines, the problems they face and how they solve them, the areas they're focused on from technology, people and processes, to the approaches they took that will help you to get to the scripts for the Digital Workspace inner workings. Welcome to the the podcast. Do you want to give us a brief introduction to who you are? Yes. Yeah. I'm I'm, I'm Mike. I'm uh, passionate about the data analytics machine learning space. Um, Actually, more specifically, how that interplays with human behavioral economics. Uh, I write a lot about the subject. I'm a Forbes columnist and also best-selling author. Um, Professionally, my career began with uh, Accenture moved on to De Beers, the diamond miners, where I helped establish their uh, business intelligence function, uh, a brief stint at Expedia, and then lastly, justgiving.com, where we used a suite of algorithms to help grow the world of giving. Um, we were making 100 million, 150 million a year in donations and then sold the company when we were making 400 million a year. And um, analytics, data, and machine learning had a really big part in uh, growing the organization. Um, right now, I'm the founder of a, a startup that's looking to disrupt that whole world of business intelligence. We've just completed our uh, seed round uh, and closed it literally uh, yesterday. And Congratulations. Uh, thank you. And our, we're hoping to launch in the next few months. So, yeah, exciting times. Cool. What's the name of the startup? I don't think I got that. Or can you not say it? Decidable. Oh, decidable. Yeah. And essentially, if uh, business intelligence and data is to uh, help with human decision making, um, uh, we want to make that world significantly more decidable to, than it is at the moment. So, yeah. I'm working I must admit, it's one of the areas I've had huge, I say huge problems, but it's always a challenging space to take data and make it visible or viewable by someone. And you've always got to try to work to that almost lowest common denominator of the person that's going to be looking at it. Um, yeah. Some people want a rich experience and some people just want a red dot that says this is a problem. Yeah, and and, yeah exactly. Some people just want the answer. So, yeah, 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 yeah exactly. Oh, great stuff. So we were talking about fiber and all the rest of it. I was going to tell you my, uh, we just bought a house in, in West Sussex and um, everywhere around us has got fiber except for our little area. No. And and you can't find a reason why. It's almost like they deliberately ignored our little, our little area. So someone didn't pay something. <laughs> Are you, is it like you're in a little island that doesn't have it or are you just like on the edge? Um, so if I walk, because I, you know, if I walk up and down the streets, I can see all the cables being laid everywhere okay. else except for our road. And I mean, our road, so there's a long road that's been around. I mean, that's been a, it's the original road of, of Horsham. And then we've got a little branch off it, which is our road. But that whole long road doesn't have fiber on it. So it's just that long road and our road is attached to it. So I don't know why it was missed. I, I don't know if there was a real reason or just a, a planning problem or, or what, but uh, there's yeah. no there's no end in sight to when we'll actually have it in the road. Yeah, let's hope you don't have one of those neighbors that's uh, caused you a problem. <laughs> you probably find it is something silly like that because that's yeah. something I have learned and you, you mentioned it. Just they come to your door and they go no further. It's one of those things. Yeah. They come to that point and they're like, we're not going past there. So. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah exactly. great. So, so I think I mean just to give everyone context. So, so we spoke because I saw a post that you put on LinkedIn with your son put, putting together an Excel spreadsheet yeah. to build his computer, and I really yeah. liked that. And I wanted to explore that. Well, that was one of the reasons I wanted to chat to you. And then obviously, I read your book as well, which was another thing that's that's worth chatting about. Do you want to give us some 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 continuance on on the story with your son and his computer? Yes, absolutely. And uh, he should he should be he should be with us shortly. Actually, he's uh, I think oh, he was he was mid game. So um, <laughs> <laughs> apparently, that's more important. <laughs> um, Priorities. Uh, uh, but yeah, I think, um, so I, I, let me tell you a bit about the book before, before he joins, if that's okay, if we do it, do it the, the, so, uh, the book actually took me about three years to write. Um, and that's because I'm not 
an author, English perhaps, uh, I, I'm a little dyslexic and English isn't my speciality, if you like. I'm more on the mathematics side of things. Um, and it began as an angry letter uh, and then sort of evolved into a book. Um, and and the, the frustration grew from organizations that were investing quite heavily in this world of data, machine learning, and AI, but failing to see any return on investment. And then on the back of that, making it a technical reason as to why they couldn't get it to work. Mm. Uh, and anybody who's been in that space, particularly now with all the advancements of the tools and the technology, we know that it's uh, more to do with the people um, and, and there's organizational elements that are required to get that right. So that, that, that's where the frustration came from. And it eventually grew into um, a formula, if you like, for what businesses and organizations should look at, a blueprint, let's call it, um, of things they should do to make sure they at least tick the right boxes to make sure that data and analytics actually delivers value for them. So, um, so yeah, that's the journey, if you like, on, on the book. Well, well, yeah, it resonated so well with me because I, I mean, I basically highlighted most of the book. Right. Um, I think there's, there's, there's probably less unhighlighted sections than there are highlighted sections. And yeah. it's probably because of the exact same similar frustrations, Yeah, you know, getting involved in, in a project and just seeing that it's it's not going to work because of the people and the process being, right. yeah. being just, you know, the technology is usually not the problem. Yes. Because yeah. now, and, and especially, you know, when I'm, I'm talking about 10 years ago, what we have now compared to what we had 10 years ago, yeah. there's no excuse for the technology to not be Absolutely. Suitable. Absolutely. And, and, and we're talking about challenges like, um, do you even know what you want to do with that mm. technology? Right. Um, it's all good, well and good having and buying it and purchasing it and getting a team in place. But for, to what end? Right. Mm. And, and then to put that responsibility on a technical team whose domain expertise is to deliver technology not to understand your business to the extent that they can identify all of those opportunities. And, and you need the balance, right? But mm. whole thing of it's up to you, tech, work it out. And tech love doing tech. But yeah. we don't enjoy really understanding the business to the degree that you do as a domain owner to be able to then find mm. holes and opportunities. And, and realizing that there is the balance, because I even found when it was left with the tech teams, the tech teams would be like, yeah, I'm happy to go in and, and, and find a use case. But they would often choose a use case that satisfies the tech uh, needs, if you like. You know, it's like, mm. this is a really interesting, very technical project. That's what we're going to do. Whereas there's low-hanging fruit that may be less interesting on the tech side, but delivers huge value, you know. Um, and so that balance is so key to get right. No, you're spot on. I mean, I've, well, it's a problem I see often. Um, and that, that criteria, the sort of priority versus impact sort yeah. of um, – Cartesian plane, if you like, the yeah. tech guys will always pick the ones that they can look the best at and get the best, you know, bells and whistles associated to it, yeah. but it has no real business value at all. Absolutely. So I, I totally get that. And, and the behavioral economics piece, I mean, is that, is that something that spun out of that? Uh, yeah, well, that also I can say is perhaps a, a, a historical, you know, a, a generational one almost because my granddad was a psychiatrist in, um, sorry, we've got a little dog that, thinks its reflection is another animal. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and I've got my son here now, so I'll, I'll explain uh, very briefly about the uh, uh, behavioral economics. Hi, yeah. Kelly. Hi. Uh, hey, Kelly. Nice <laughs> to meet you. I'm Ryan, by the uh, way. That's Ryan. Yeah. <laughs> you too. Nice to meet you. So my granddad w uh, was actually Uganda's first psychiatrist. And, oh, wow. uh, yeah. Yeah, and my dad being an economist with the UN um, uh, and a computer being left at home, it was a natural marriage of all of those disciplines coming coming together. Um, and when, obviously, you jump into the world of data, machine learning, or at that time it was artificial intelligence of what Hollywood showed us, um, there, there's a human element to that, whether it's mimicking a human or interfering with the way we do life. Um, looking at it from both a philosophical and psychological perspective uh, came naturally because I was surrounded by that in my family. So, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. I mean, it's it's something that, you know, we use a lot um, when we build products, especially now if you read books like Hooked or, um, oh, what's the other one? 
Ready Game Start or something. I can't remember the name of the title. But yeah. but everything we do is is gamified. Um, right. Because we because humans are are looking for a game. It seems keep them interested. Well, there's a lot in that. I think if you just begin to understand the way the brain functions, uh, uh, what is it we need? What is it we crave? Hooked Hooked does a really great you know summary of a lot of B J Fogg's uh, science around. Um, you know, building uh, uh, addictive uh, technology, or you know, a technology that you can use to increase engagement significantly. And there, there are, you know, I, I think a lot of good use cases, particularly from a public policy perspective, where that technology is really useful. Um, and then now, if you watch the social dilemma on Netflix, you can understand mm. the more sense of, of of jumping into that technology. So, yeah, yeah, I think that was a great movie. I think it really expressed a lot of basic concepts really well. So, yeah. 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 And, 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 and how, for example, we do need that ethical layer on technology. A lot of the time we talk about ethics purely in artificial intelligence, but in technology as a whole, particularly as we are able to now build very, you know, increasingly persuasive technology, um, we do need a, an, an ethical governing body of some sort just to make sure we're getting all of that right. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, sure. Anyway, I can see that our, our other guest is getting bored. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So let me tell you about uh, Caleb and um, uh, the story behind that. So uh, why why did you want to build a, a PC? Because I thought um, um, to um, a couple months. Right. Yeah, right. A couple months before. A couple yeah. months before. Um, Dad got me a, a, a laptop. I thought, I thought, I thought I um. So I wanted a PC, and so and and so Dad came up with this great idea to build one instead of having to buy the, the whole thing. And then a couple of days after that, or maybe a month after that, we um bought started buying the pieces, and then when they all came, we started building. So who who told you about um, who came up with which pieces needed and so forth? Me. You you did. How how did you do that? There was a video. Um, there was a video, and there was lots of um, different pieces in the description of the video. So I chose from there. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe can just give us a give us a bit of background to yourself, Caleb. You you how old now? Was it nine? I think. Yeah. Nine, and when you started building the PC, you was were you still nine, or was it you've just turned nine? I can't remember. Eight. Oh, eight. Okay. And and did you build the machine yourself, or did your dad do the? Uh, do some of it. My dad helped. <laughs> he held the torch for you while you screwed everything in. <laughs> Good. So, so, what did you end up buying? What 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 was the things you were looking for? Um. So first, um, first, first off, we bought like stuff from the inside before we bought the outside part. That's a good and, move, yeah. Well, it's inside that we buy. Uh, first, we buy the graphics card, I think. Yeah. And then, and then we bought the motherboard. Yeah. And then, well, I remember it's the day after we bought the chassis. Yeah. And then um, we also bought the CPU cooler and the CPU. The CPU was on the same day yeah. as the chassis, I think. Yeah. So he's he's very literal, like like me. So we asked him what order, and he's now remembering it in sequence. Rather, no, I, what I was about to say. I mean, this this is probably the one skill that every young kid should know how to do is to build a computer from scratch, uh, in order. Because yeah. I tell you, the, well, the reason why I say choosing the chassis last is such a good thing. Because I've done it the other way around once or twice, and you've end up with this this oh no moment when you realise that the motherboard doesn't actually fit, um, oh, and it right. and it changes the whole design. Um, that's, well, that's, I can see it happened because um, uh, I've never built a PC before, and if I'm honest, it wasn't until Caleb sent me his spreadsheet of all the components that are required that I thought, okay, we we better get on with this. So I, I planted the idea, not thinking it would take off, um, but uh, <laughs> Caleb went went to town with it, did a lot of research, and then uh, basically got us to the stage of building it. So yeah, you're right. We there, there were some fiddly bits, weren't there, when we were yeah. trying to get it in? 
Yeah. Most of the wires. Yeah, yeah. The wiring was was pretty tricky, particularly within that chassis, but it, we got it in the end. So did, did you go with a, without having seen it, or you, did you go with a gamer sort of box where it's got colored lights and, and all that kind of stuff, or did you go with like a, a corporate a corporate box? Uh, a gaming one. A gaming one. Yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah. How many fans? Uh, there, were, there were about four or five fans. Yeah. Holy moly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. he, he got a really good rig i think uh, i i uh, yeah I, I i was sucking in by the spreadsheet so <laughs> <laughs> almost a blank check because your dad was looking at the spreadsheet not at the dollar signs or the, or the pound signs <laughs> i was more impressed by the spreadsheet than anything else so. <laughs> yeah yeah and screens what did you do about screens did you go with one big one or did you go with two or uh, so I have one, uh, there's one big curved one. It was my brother's before. But now, now I've put it, um, my PC into, into the, into the, into the, into the extender. Oh. Yeah. So, <laughs> so we had, we had a, a monitor previously and, uh, um, uh, that was for his older brother who used it for a uh, driving simulator. He's into karting. So um, so he has a, a simulator that he uses at home to practice the circuits. Uh, and uh, we we borrowed that indefinitely. Yes? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what family's for, to share. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and then from a, from a keyboard and mouse point of view, did you go with, with any specific brand or...? Type? Um, no, we had we had this. So again, my brother, my, my brother had a keyboard and mouse, and I used that for a while. But then on my birthday, we got a um, different, a uh, different one, a new one. With more lights. <laughs> yeah, with more flashy lights on. <laughs> so, so I think you, I think you owe us a photo of your of your setup rig, and you playing it, so we can we can all experience your your design. Yeah, you're gonna go get some pictures for us, and then we'll send them to Ryan. Okay, all right. Brilliant. Great. Well, I think so you're officially it's you're officially our youngest guest, so you've got that as well to to go with your Excel spreadsheet. <laughs> Shall I let him go now? <laughs> yeah, you can go. You can go. Enough, enough to butcher. <laughs> yeah. Cheers, Caleb. All the best. <laughs> Yeah, he's a, um, so I have three three boys, and it's interesting. You, um, they're all uh, they're all reasonably technical. I would say he's the most technical out of all of them, but he's also the most. Um, if, if ever I was to predict what career he could go into, if if we were back, you know, twenty years ago, it would be that he's going into he he'll be a developer. Um, he just has that. He already has a lot of the mannerisms where he's happy to sit in front of a computer with pizza and Haribo's and just, you know, spend a whole night on the computer. <laughs> stop, yeah, stop talking to me. I'm busy. Yeah, that kind of. <laughs> but I say that interestingly, because when we're talking about tech, um, there's a big part of me that wonders whether we will need that many developers um, and whether AI will be writing a lot of the code for us. Um. Yeah, and and you know it's, it's it's very much like the Uber problem, where you have mm. um, a whole bunch of drivers that are driving cars that could be replaced by self-driving vehicles. Yeah. Um, it's it's a possibility, but I wonder how if it would ever happen because you still need that creativity. Um, so yes, you might have. The, I mean, I, I'd love it if 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 the basic stuff was always taken care of, like yeah. you know building the login screens and building the. Um, you know, whatever they are, the, the natural, the easy components and let you just focus on that really piece of complicated yeah. um, functionality. I'd love that. Yeah, I could definitely see it. Have you seen much uh, in your work of it coming up? Yeah, well, I've seen, I don't know if you've seen any in uh, uh, any of the examples of GPT-3 um, that have been released. Um, some fantastic examples there of people basically saying, um, code, build me a social network. And straight away it gets all the code, all the front end, and you've got a social network, you know? Wow, uh, no, I hadn't seen that. No, that's amazing. Yeah. I'll see if I can find that link and, and send it to you. Someone, and, and it's quite easy to build because because of GPT-3, because GPT-3 was trained 
on I don't know how many billion elements. It was essentially trained on the whole internet, right? Um, uh, it's got all, imagine all of Stack Overflow is sat inside an AI brain, you know? So it's, uh, it's really advanced. <laughs> <laughs> As you said, I was thinking, you can, I can imagine it logging a problem on Stack Overflow and then solving the same problem. The same problem. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so the only thing yeah. I'd seen with GDP3 was where they, where they gave it um, a whole lot of articles to read and then it wrote an article and people couldn't discern if that was a, a human written article or an AI written article. That's the only thing I've yeah. seen. Yeah. No, they, they, I think uh, those people who managed to get um, uh, early access uh, before it was, I think Microsoft had the, the, the charging license for it now, but um, they were, there were quite a few applications that were built that were genuinely fascinating. I mean, really, you were limited by your bounds of creativity, as you say, um, in terms of what you could get it to do. Just imagine it had been trained on pretty much the whole internet, you know, so... <laughs> um, you know, in terms of a language model, it was on another planet. That's a scary and amazing thought that, that something exists already today that you could, in essence, tailor what you want out of, out of it. Wow. Yeah, it completely changes the game, Ryan, because um, if you remember that with, with machine learning, the basic concept is we get a lot of data um, and there's a challenge to getting the data because if it, it doesn't exist in a database, you have to start storing it in a database. Then you have you split that into your training set and then your test set, train the machine, and then you have all these overfitting problems because your data only covers one small part of the universe. Um, mm -hmm. And then eventually it does it. Whereas now with, um, with GPT-3, you can do uh, short shot or zero shot learning where you don't have a training set, you know, you just put the task together, but because it's been trained on the whole internet, there's so much that it can do. So is that, I mean, I haven't really looked into this in depth. So is, is GDP3 hosted somewhere and you're just, you're just using the libraries? Uh, yeah, I believe you, or something, something to that ilk and that, that sort of setup. I think it's basically an API based access. Yeah. Um, uh, from from what I understand, yeah, so. that's pretty cool. That's yeah, it is. Cool. It's yeah, worth looking at. Yeah, because I mean, what you're saying now, in the, in the sense of approaching a machine learning project, is is so true, and and it's that getting unstructured stuff into structured formats and and the overhead, um, not only of just getting the data in the right format, but trying to understand the the context of what you've got uh, and what's yeah. missing more often than yeah. what you've got. Is, is such a challenge. That's true. Yeah. So um, it's, uh, it's, 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 uh, and I've just pulled out, I had uh, the numbers on how, what it was trained on. So if, if um, Turing NLG, which was released in 2019 by Microsoft, um, was trained on 17 billion, let's call it elements of data, right? Yeah. Uh, uh, GPT-3 was 175 billion. Wow. So oh, that's amazing. That's massive that's numbers. Huh? Order of magnitude bigger, you know. Wow. Yeah. And, and, and out of interest in your new startup, are you going to use something like GDP3 or have you got a different approach completely? Well, we've got a slightly different approach, but it doesn't hurt if we could get, um, you know, access to it. Why not? Because... That's a lot of work done for us already. You know, when I think one of the big advantages with um, uh, GPT-3 is because it's been trained on so much, so many variables in so many different, you know, perhaps contexts and languages and so forth. Like you said, it could write an article, right? Um, the, the, that's a pre-trained language model that is more advanced than any other pre-trained language model that exists. So machines that can begin to talk to you, communicate with you and so forth, you know, understand sentiment, understand context, understand all of those things. It's, uh, it's, I think it's a different world, you know, it's, it's huge. And this stuff is happening much faster than we're, we're, we're ready for, you know. Um, well, well, that is, yeah, so, yeah, when you mentioned the, the sort of the technology and, and how that impacts things. I think that's one of our challenges is almost there's too many options, but also the technology um, change is so quick that you just think you've got your head around something and then there's a new piece of technology that does it slightly differently or um, 
you know, you've, it, it, it makes what you knew before redundant. Yeah. Um, so, 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 I mean, when you look at a project now or, or, or deal with a customer, do you have a, a preset of things you'd use to, to solve the problem or do you take it on the problem first and then look at what tools you'd use? Um, uh, yeah, so I would say it's uh, it's look at the problem first because the, because there there's so many advancements that happen so quickly. Like you said, you can jump into something and then within a, a year it's completely redundant, you know, um, and and it doesn't work. But looking at the problem set is absolutely critical, and spending more time on that because there are so many intricate details around. You know, particularly if you remember back in the day when we used to capture requirements for dev projects, non-functional requirements, as an example, right? Um, so doing the task right now is not enough. You need to get a better understanding of some functions. A good example in the world of AI is um, explainability, right? Um, we live in a world where you can't just do something. You have to explain a little bit more why, right? So why were you rejected for the mortgage? Why was this happening? You know, and why is it picking these clients over those clients? Um, uh, and, 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 and that sort of thing. And if you have a requirement for high explainability, there's certain algorithms and approaches you just can't use. You know? and, and so getting the problem set really clear is absolutely key to the success of the project. And how do you, how do you lead someone through you know, getting getting clear on what that problem is, because often people um, will think the problem is actually is ABC. Meanwhile, when you actually ask, like you do the five wires technique, for example, you realize that the problem is actually uh, something else completely. But it was just a symptom that you were actually thinking was the problem. Yeah. So I think five wires is a tried and tested method to try and get to that. Um, the other approach is business goals. And the last one that we tend to do is I used to now this this has all changed post COVID. Um, but previously we used to use a uh, Lego. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's really interesting because you get a bunch of executives in the room to play with Lego. Firstly, they're disarmed by the fact that hang on, this is supposed to be a serious session, and you brought me in with a bunch of toys, right? Um, yeah. And immediately, a lot of them get upset. They're like, "What is? What on earth is this going to do?" By the end of the session, they're all like, look at my amazing model, you know, and everything. So it completely changes. But Lego, um, uh, we use a process called Lego Serious Play, which I really advocate. Mm. Um, put together by, I, I believe it was Lego themselves with a couple of professors from um, an MBA school somewhere, where uh, they, you know, the, the challenge they had was that they were saying they're a creative organization. Um, how come their strategy meetings are so boring and ineffective? And this is at a time when Lego or play was being taken over by Nintendo and games and so forth. So Lego was really struggling to capture the attention of certain children. Um, and, uh, uh, and they came up with Lego Serious Play, but the science behind that is fascinating because they also call it thinking with your hands. And the moment you start you know, doing that, you stimulate a whole bunch of extra, let's call it neurons or, or those elements in the brain that stimulate creativity to a degree that you've never thought of before, right? Um, and so Lego Serious Play, I think, is fantastic at that. But the one trick to get that to work even more effectively is to put people in the room uh, to increase what we call the diversity of thought. So put people in the room that wouldn't normally be in the room to have that discussion. And on a couple of occasions, I remember back where gathering requirements and trying to find, let's say, the problem or a new way of looking at something. And it was the PA who was in there taking notes that came up with the answer. You know, um, and just uh, and 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 there's a, there's a great book. Oh, I, I wish I could remember when they talk about innovation. Innovation tends to happen on the edges, not in the middle where all the concentrated knowledge is. It happens on the edge, and and it's about getting people from the edge into the room to have that conversation and participate because that's where innovation comes from. Yeah, yeah it's funny. It, 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 this has come up twice now this week as a, as a mechanism yeah. where where you're trying to get one using Lego. Um, but two, you're trying to get people to get out of their, um, their roles in an organization and, and, and share things using sort of indirect means. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm looking at the website now. It was developed 20 years ago by Lego, yeah. Uh, yeah. uh, by a guy by the name of Kirk Christensen, who was the owner of Lego at the time and yeah, Christensen. Right. And now he's joined Trivium, which is actually the, if you want to get certified, 
which I want to now look into because it's come yeah. up twice. So it must mean something. Um, mm-hmm. They got a beautiful picture here of, of guys building all sorts of contraptions and you create a landscape of all these contraptions and that becomes your world. Yeah. And there's, there's a structured approach to the thinking in that. And it's quite abstract, but it really jumps into your business, you know, um, or into your way of thinking and really pulls out creativity. It's great for team building. It's great for strategic thinking. It's absolutely fantastic for strategic thinking. I use it on the AI side of things because you do kind of need to get out of the box. The trouble we have with AI is that a lot of people tend to think of the, the use cases that everybody else is doing. You know, if my competitors... Mm churn, then I also have to build a churn model. If my competitor is doing recommendations, then I have to do recommendations. And just missing all the extra value that AI could potentially bring you. Yeah. But you don't think that those sort of models, churn and recommendation and, and whatever else, are commodities now? You should just go and rent them from Microsoft or, or, AW, or Amazon or Google, use their models and... Yeah, it, it all depends on the domain. Um, so I'll give you an example where uh, a, a canned recommendation model, of which they, they exist, by the way, couldn't work mm. for us. Uh, this was at Just Giving. So most recommendation models are built on um, either product sales, uh, primarily product sales, uh, or um, even content delivery, uh, which plays on the lookalike approach. Um, whereas at Just Giving, the domain where giving is so inherently personal and giving changes over time. So, you know, what we did is we studied giving for a long time and we saw that, um, you know, for example, the moment I became a parent, children-related charities were more important to me than they were before. You know, Mm. Uh, because of where I'm from, you know, anything giving to Africa, I have a very different perspective to charities in Africa than perhaps somebody else might. Um, Mm. And uh, uh, you, you, you then go through things like I have a friend who who's he's, he's, a, he's an ex-rugby player. And uh, when he got married, he has three daughters, two daughters. And um, now he's so focused on uh, women's education. And, mm. and this is the thing I'd ever seen him, you know, care about before. But now that's something he's so passionate about. And so the, our giving changes so frequently that you can't say because you've a bit like because you've bought this product, this one is one we can recommend for you because you give it to this charity, we can recommend this one. It doesn't work that way. You know, mm. um, uh, uh, it, it's, I'll, I'll give you an example of how personal it is that you can care about cancer, but actually you're really passionate about eradicating the disease or you're really passionate about palliative care, you know? Um, and those are two different things, two completely different type of charities. Um, and you can't just sort of replace one for the other because I, I'm giving to palliative care because of how they took care of my granddad, you know, yep. um, and then that sort of thing. So it's uh, so the, those canned approaches. It depends on the domain. Is what I yeah, I mean, you had that 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 old example of uh, I think it was Tesco. There was or Target that was predicting people were pregnant based on what they were buying vitamins yeah. and, and all that kind of stuff. And then that actually, I think the old uh, you know, urban legend that that's how the dad found out his daughter was pregnant. Yeah. Um, but I, I, mean, I find it, the, you know, interesting if you look at something like Amazon, for example, where you'd think by now they'd have that thing sussed, the recommendation yeah. engine, but the amount of yeah. times it recommends stuff that I've already bought, um, or really? books I've already, already read. And you're like, yeah. um, surely you guys know that I've read this book because I read it on Kindle and, you know, it's one of your apps or, or surely, oh, you know, that, I've bought this because I've bought this in your, of your orders. That is really interesting. Um, and, and I would say I'm also surprised that them getting it wrong. Um, hmm. You see, one of the things, so I teach a course on um, trying to get people to understand the world of AI data and machine learning. And I try and get non-technical people to try and understand that. And the reason why is because a lot of the time, Again, like we saw when we were talking earlier, a tech person who builds a tech product is excited by that tech. Um, mm. And then they're ready to move on to the new thing, right? No one wants to stay developing HTML when now you can develop in Python and so forth, right? You want to move yeah. on. And so that desire to continue to look after that goes, and then you often get this thing of, we've got to replace the whole thing with new code, right? You know, um, which is probably more exciting. But the, on the business side, there's a lot of work to do around the skills of identifying really useful use cases for artificial intelligence, 
delivering the projects where we talked about things like explainability, those non-functional requirements where you as the domain owner really know them. And the last thing is managing them as, as they go through the life cycle uh, because things change. In fact, half the um, B2C type uh, algorithms that were around before COVID are going to have to change now because buying behavior has changed. So Big you know, you'd be silly to just stick with the same algorithm that was trained on that previous data set. It's got to use an a more advanced and an updated training set to begin to understand a new world or a new environment that it's operating. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I helped a, a friend of mine, they built a, it's called singular decisions. Uh, I think it's right. called, and that was uh, going back to the churn model and, and that they were, they were looking at how you, how do you look after the consumer of content? Because you know, as you look at TV today, that's going more and more down the IPTV route. Yeah. So Netflix, Netflix is not IPTV. I, I learned that the, the other day. Um, but it's the it's an actual like like Sky Sports being transmitted over you know yeah. over the internet. But it's you know looking at needing a, a specific minimum speed of sort of twenty five meg lines and, and that sort of thing. Whereas Netflix will run on a two meg line. Um, yeah. But it's so that you as a consumer can have a bouquet a bit okay. Of, of personalized channels and, and, but that there's a need to almost manage all your subscriptions. And you can kind of see this with Amazon a little bit where you can sign up for Amazon prime and then yeah. you could, they can recommend to you to watch like below deck is my favorite um, TV show at the moment. But then oh, in order yeah. to watch it, in order to watch that, I have to sign up for a sub subscription called, I think it's Hey You. All right. Which is, which is like five bucks. But now I've got a, a subscription and a subscription. But one of them I'm going to watch only as long as I've got the season that I want to watch available to me. And then once that's done, I'll cancel it. But I've still got my main one. And it's really the, the singular decisions algorithm is all about trying to keep you on that Hey You subscription, as an example, so you don't cancel and you're on right. the grid. And then, and then you've, and you're doing, it's not, it's, they, they've got a, um, an eight step framework, which is quite interesting. Um, yeah. As, as you move through the stages, they can, they can man, not manipulate you, that's the wrong word in, in its negative sense, but to keep you on, to keep you consuming. But there could be a, a leaving moment or there could be a joining moment or there could be an upgrade moment or a downgrade moment. So maybe you, you're about to, about to leave and they say, okay, well, instead of paying five bucks a month, you pay three for six months. Okay. You're like, oh, well, I've saved two bucks. So, you know, that's, that's a cup of coffee almost. So I'll stick around. Yeah. Um, or they give you three months free and then it goes back up to normal. Right, but by then you've forgotten that you've actually stayed on. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's interesting. Yeah. Very, very interesting. I think I'll, I'll look them up. Singular decisions, did you say is what they're called? Yeah. Yep. Singular decisions. What I like about that is it's, again, it's decision focused, right? So it's, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's, it's thing is to try and, you know, minimize the decision of unsubscribing completely. You know that that is that's its uh, sort of optimization function. I'm happy. Look, I'm happy to introduce you to profession and connect you guys up to have a chat. Yeah, I would love to. I would love to. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 No, that would be really good. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. So, so I mean, the other thing that I wanted to do, so you talked through your sort of history of working on the consulting side, you know, and then moving into to the company side. And now obviously you've got a startup. How are you seeing the market change over time, especially now with, with everyone working from home and data becoming more and more important to decide on renting office space versus not renting office space? Or, I mean, are you seeing a better question being asked of data? If, that, if that's maybe a better way of... of um, Coloring it in. It's it's a it's a it's a great question to ask. Am I seeing a better question asked of data? I'm seeing more questions asked of data for sure. Right? Um, you know, if uh, if the consumer is now doing significantly more online and is likely to, according to McKinsey and those sort of reports, continue doing a lot of stuff online, um, uh, that is going to create more data. But it also means that the corresponding businesses have to do more online as well, right? So if the online market begins to get a little saturated, you need to find a way to differentiate yourself online and become a bit smarter. And uh, look, ultimately, every organization is still trying to get customers, um, get maximize their 
their their time with that customer and if it's financially a financial payoff or not increase retention and reduce the chance and, and increase the chances of them spreading word of mouth every organization wants to do that how would you decide to do that without investing more in data and asking the right questions about your activities within each of those fields um, and I think what we're seeing is actually we're seeing, because I saw a great article by, I don't know which organization it was, that had predicted around 300,000 jobs in the data and analytics space for 2021. And they revised that number uh, towards the end of that last year to 2 million, right? Wow. So when, when we're talking about a decrease in jobs, I found it quite interesting that that article was saying there was an increase in jobs in that particular sphere. You know, well, I mean, that's maybe what the industrial revolutions are. They they always talk about losing jobs, but actually, it's a, it's a shifting of jobs yes. to to yeah. higher skilled. Um, yeah. And yes, you feel for the people that are, are let's say, lower skilled, for one of a better phrase, um, because they don't know anything else. I mean, you know, you I don't you didn't grow up in Uganda, did you, or, or did you? You visited not. I, I, I actually, as a as a uh, child of a diplomat, we were in many different countries in, in the continent. So, yeah. Well, what I was going to, the, the sort of example I was going to give, I mean, I'm back in South Africa at the moment and, and I'm realizing more and more that when I speak just to certain people, that they've got no other job than to be a gardener or, or a domestic because they've got no other vision or they could right. be anything else. Right. Um, and how do you, how do you tell that or help that person so that their kids have the opportunities that they didn't have, you know, to be an accountant or a lawyer or whatever they want to be yeah, and not be, not be stuck in the same rut to, to an extent. And it's, you know, it's, it's a, it's a depressing situation sometimes because there's only so much you could do and you can't help everybody. Um, no, and, and they're the most, and they're the most affected by it, by COVID because, you know, the first thing to keep people, first thing to do is keep people away from you. So you're going to keep people away that are, are traveling on taxis every day and, um, you know, living in squatter camps and, and that sort of stuff. Well, not even does that. Ryan, the job market scares me even more because, you know, if we think about the world of disruption and how just everything is getting disrupted, right? you can name any industry is going to go through some form of disruption. Yeah. Education is going through what I believe to be a very silent disruption. Oh right? yeah, definitely. Where like now they're gonna they're doing school from home, right? Um, let's not be surprised if something more comes off on the back of that, right? Uh, uh, where we see some some change, it would be a shame for it not to, because it hasn't changed for a millennia, right? You know, <laughs> there's a lot of what we're doing that's pretty much exactly the same. Now, if the job market is shifting, the education market can't continue to do the same thing. If it's if its role is to equip our children for the future, right? Mm, mm. It just can't do the same thing, and so you, you end up finding. I mean, we've seen a revolution. Of, what do they call the MOOCs? I, I can't remember. Um, yeah, yeah, uh, um, mostly yeah. online courses or something. That's right. You know, so we've seen a lot of that where people are now. You know, the, the online course market has shot through the roof during this period, um, and you're like, well, they're selling pe- things to people who don't have to have gone to uni um, and all of those sort of things. And you're like, I do see a sneaky shift taking place here that, you know, we're not keeping an eye on it. And most of this, most of the time disruption happens because we're just not focused at it. It's some other people who are paying attention to it. But I do think the education space, you know, ed tech is ripe for massive disruption. The government already tried to get AI to mark exams. You know, there's, there's, there's a lot that's happening there, you know. Yeah, and it, and it is something that if you look, what do we know, uh, a year and a bit since the last lockdown. Oh, I see, yeah, sorry, almost in March or since the first yeah. lockdown for the for the UK at least. Yeah. The amount of kids that had to be educated remotely and are still being educated remotely, but they're losing out on the social aspects and the social skills that they need. Yeah. Um, but they're still doing this old-fashioned way of worksheets and, yes, some, some, some schools are using apps and some aren't, but not every school and not every – sector has the, the, has tools, the, the, the tools yeah. To, yeah. To, to, use. to use. But there's, there's got to be a way. I mean, you've got to go to Google or to Microsoft and say, please sponsor a million laptops with Google Classroom or something installed so we can do this a, a different way. Yeah, yeah. But, but also when we're talking about, you know, so in the tech world, we have a world of hyper-personalization. 
So uh, why not personalized education? And, and it's so interesting. Caleb here, who is the academic of my three kids, he's the most academic, um, doesn't enjoy learning via lockdown, right? Um, uh, whereas my eldest, Josh, who's the least academic, has thrived during during lockdown. Like he's, you know, his grades have gone through the roof, you know. Um, and it's interesting because there's just something different about the environment that that has meant this is his learning style environment. And there's a bit about me that's a little reluctant to let him. Why would I put him <laughs> in a place where he was really struggling to somewhere where he's so thriving, like genuinely thriving? You know, he manages his own time everything and he just makes sure we're, we're, we're keeping tabs on it of course um and uh but he's he's flying through you know but is that is that not the point is is and you said hyper personalization but that's that's the problem with the education system it's always developed on the lowest common denominator so yeah. and how do we train you to work in a factory there's going to be a yeah. shift that's going to be from you know eight to three or nine to five or whatever it is so you're used to working like that yeah. How do you change that? How do you, well, I think you've answered the question in a way, but yeah. how do you, how do you treat people? Cause, cause what, what, I mean, these things were put in place based on, you know, some very old theory, which was right at the time. It was what Henry Ford used to, to build his, you know, conglomerate, what it is yeah. now. Um, but how do you go, you know, let's fast forward 20 years where people haven't been educated in, in high school, the same, you know, they're managing courses they want to do. They haven't got a degree because they've done 60 courses that are two weeks at a time. You know, you've got to, you've got to hire them differently then. Yeah. You've got to look at like critical, critical thinking, problem solving, that sort of stuff. Yeah. And, and, and you know what? Let's mix it up, Ryan. So it's, it's not just the jobs that are changing, the technology that's changing in the way that people get educated, but also what's changing is we have a big social revolution taking place as well, right? where there, there is an increased desire for equity and equality across the spectrum, across the globe. Mm. Um, which means that like an organization that I worked with after uni, Accenture, will have to change its hiring practices if it's to meet the, um, you know, the, 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 the equality, equality numbers or the diversity and inclusion numbers that it needs to. So previously that, that organization would hire from, let's just say, five universities, right? Okay. And to get into those five universities, you probably needed to have been going to private school. Um, yep. And to get to private school, you probably needed a certain amount of wealth within your family, right? Yep. And, and you have that sort of cascading effect, which means that everyone who worked in Accenture at my time was the same type of person, right? So now you have a change in the way everyone's being educated. And organizations are focused on growth, so they need the skill set, right? You know, they're not going to say no to a top class developer because he didn't go to this particular uni. Is then going to have to change hiring practices, which means that old way of looking at value, you know, with education may change. I, I don't know. I just feel like there's a real shift coming that, you know, perhaps we need to prepare for. Yeah, I think, I think you're right. I mean, there was that there was that news uh, agency. It could have been NBC. I could stand corrected, yeah. where they used AI to to go through all their previous hires, so all their CVs and their careers and stuff, so they could hire based on what they thought were the best people that matched their, their culture. And they end up hiring the same, you know, white male, same yeah. high school, same high school, same varsity, whatever. And and you know, completely discounted most females and you know people yeah. of color because they didn't fit this this biased profile. Um, yeah. So I think bias comes into to a large extent. And I think yeah, yeah you're right. The, the rules have changed. Um, yeah. But it's, but it's rippling through faster and maybe it's, it's a hidden wave. It's building up to a tsunami that's going to hit us all in the face at some point. Yeah. Well, let, let, let's let's talk about the time and this, the rate of change. Rate of change, right? So. AI is an exponential technology. So yeah. that means it's not a straight line, which means its change is going to be faster as we move along, not slower, right? So I think it will hit us in the face. I think we'll just be shocked by it. You know, um, in 2014, a whole bunch of experts gathered together to ask the question, when will Go, uh, when will a machine beat a human being at the game of Go, right? And all the experts said, 10 years at the very least. <laughs> and it happened in two, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's just, that's what we're dealing with right now. Google are now doing protein folding, you know, a problem that 
didn't expect to be sold for another 50 years, you know? Yeah. So it's, uh, yeah, it's fascinating. Do you, do you think, I mean, that's, that's all leading up to the singularity. Do you think that's something we'll see in our lifetimes? You know what? I, I, I do think there was one thing that will slow it down, right? Is, uh, is um, things like GDPR, uh, because the capture of data is what's needed for us to get there. We need literally all the data, right? Um, what we have as humans is we, you, at the moment, we're still capturing and processing more data than a computer can. Um, mm. uh, you know, I think, I can't remember anecdotally, I have something like 17 between, it's either seven or 17 million, can't remember data points per second, right? Um, and it's such a wide variety of data points that haven't all been captured yet in a database. So therefore, our decision-making capability is still far more superior than that of a machine. Um, uh, in, in the wider context. I've got to try and remember that number. It's a, it's a, and it was a great book that I read that talked about how much data we're actually capturing as the human book. And I think that's the one thing that would slow it down. Sorry, have I got off? No, sorry, my, um, my wife's just calling me. All right. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, sorry, I didn't hear you last little bit there because she was calling me and I was trying yeah. to sound busy. <laughs> so I think that the thing that will uh, slow us down is, is things like GDPR, the, the uh, people's awareness on the privacy of the data that needs to be captured. Um, if the data isn't captured, we, it'll take a while for us to get to that, that singularity, singularity point, if you like. And that's capturing known data sources. There's also the unknown data sources that, you know, where you and I still have a gut feeling or a mm. gut thing. Well, we haven't codified that yet. So, um, you know, uh, until that gets in the database, then we're still away away from that, I believe. Yeah, I mean, it still, it still makes me think of, of um, uh, data in the next generation, uh, big Star Trek fan, clearly, um, yeah. where he's yeah. trying to explore his, explore his emotions and, and taking hunches and, and all that kind of stuff. And he's, you know, in the 23rd century. Um, yeah. But, and he's unique, there's only one of him. Uh, yeah. or two if you really look at it um it's probably a good time to tie up there what's the best way for people to get hold of you um yeah so uh, i'm on twitter um uh, i'm on linkedin uh, twitter i'm at mike gembe uh, i'm mike gembe on linkedin and um also on instagram so yeah uh, any of those approaches is, is perfectly perfectly fine get in touch i love speaking to people about the whole world of technology so i do tend to respond um, uh, or, or jump onto my website, mikebugembe.com. So um, there's, a, there's a contact us section there as well. So. Lovely. Well, thanks for, thanks for coming on. Thank you. It's a fantastic discussion. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Heather Bicknell is our producer and editor. Thank you, Heather, for your hard work on this episode. Please subscribe to the series and rate us on iTunes or the Google Play Store. Follow us on Twitter at the DWW Podcast. The show notes and transcripts will be available on the website, www.digitalworkspace.works. Please also visit our website, www.digitalworkspace.works, and subscribe to our newsletter. And lastly, if you found this episode useful, please share with your friends or colleagues.